working our way through a, a series about the church and its growth. Um, can we fix that at all? <clears throat> and uh, we, we talked a few weeks back about uh, how God is the author of church growth. God makes the church grow, but he uses us and works through us. Then secondly, uh, God works uh, through our prayers as we pray. The praying church is a growing church and uh, prayer because prayer is looking to God, dependence on God, calling God uh, into, our, into our midst to be at work. And uh, last week we talked about leadership and how God also uses and works through faithful and mature leadership, spiritual leadership to, to guide the church, uh, organizational leadership, all of those things working together. Today we want to talk about a big one. It's the subject of obedience. God grows his church through the obedience of his people. And uh, this is really, really important. Uh, we'll talk about it. Sometimes uh, uh, we, we treat obedience as uh, a really good thing, a really important thing, but we end up treating it as optional. Uh, sometimes it's just not convenient, and so we don't get around to obeying God. And uh, that's, a, that's a soft, mushy kind of obedience that... Uh, uh, will not help a church to grow. We need, we need uh, to be committed to a culture of obedience uh, in our church. My, my prayer uh, this, this morning and, and ongoing is that, uh, is that this message would help move us toward a, a, a mentality and a, a group mentality and culture of, of uh, not just obedience to God, but a joyful obedience, a worshipful obedience, a worship-driven obedience and a grateful obedience, grateful to God, obedience as a response of joy and of worship and of gratefulness to God who has done so much more for us than we can hardly imagine. So uh, keep that in mind as, as, we, as we go along, uh, and uh, let's pray and then get started here. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. To call us to obedience, Lord, is not a burden upon us, and I pray that it wouldn't be, but rather that it could be joyful and grateful and worshipful. So we give this time to you and ask that you would be speaking to us. In the name of our obedient Savior, we pray. Amen. We were saved through his obedience to his Father. <clears throat> we're going to look at six passages this morning and uh, zip through them fairly quickly. Each of them either, has, either tells us to obey in some way or it shows an incident or a situation in Scripture where God's people obeyed and we'll see the end result coming out of that. The first one comes out, I'm going to work through them just in their biblical order. So first one comes out of Joshua chapter 6. Uh, we uh, will have uh, verses, I think, coming up behind me to capture that, uh, that portion of the, of the text. <clears throat> Joshua 6.20 says, and this is a story, if you've been raised in church, this is a story you probably heard about in uh, Grace Kids or Sunday School or that, about how Joshua and the children of Israel were, were uh, in, it was a military situation, and they were to take the city of Jericho. Jericho was heavily fortified, fortified huge walls, intimidating presence, and God gave instructions to Joshua about how to go about taking the city. And the end result is uh, found in verse 20, where it says, When the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, 
when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in and they took the city. So here's, here's the, uh, the situation. Um, the city was to be taken, the, the, the children of Israel were there led by Joshua, and God called Joshua aside and gave him instructions. And the instructions were as follows. Imagine a military man receiving these instructions. Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you and all the, all the, the warriors to walk around the city the first day. Yeah, then what, Lord? No, that's all. Just, just do it. Second day, same thing. Third, fourth, fifth, and sixth day, walk around the city and then camp for the night. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times then I want you to assemble yourselves and shout, and then I want you to blow trumpets. And Joshua, I could see him going, uh-huh, okay, uh-huh, okay. And he goes back to his comrades, his fellow generals. Okay, what's the plan, Joshua? And he describes the plan, and I could just see their faces like, seriously? Well, that's what he said. Walk around. Shout, <laughs> uh, blow trumpets. I remember in Sunday school a, a teacher telling me that uh, the, 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 the power of, the, of their voice, the waves of sound would have cracked the walls and brought them down. This was the explanation. Even then, I didn't believe that. <laughs> but anyway, that was the plan. Basically, it was a ridiculous plan. It had, it had no military precedent. Uh, you, what, what good would that do? And yet that was all God told them to do. And, uh, and so that's what they did, and this is what happened. When they shouted and they blew the trumpets, the walls literally fell down. So the power was not in their shout. It was not in the sound waves. The power was in their obedience. They simply did what God asked them to do. And that's the only point to bring out of this story uh, right now. <clears throat> Power is released when we obey God. That's really important to understand and to, and, to, uh, <clears throat> and to live by. Quite often, that's how it works. But God, you know, I like to understand things. I like to know what I'm supposed to do. I also like to know why I'm supposed to do it so I can reason it through and assess on my own. Yes, this is a good plan. Yes, this looks good, Lord. Very good. Kudos to you. I think I'll do it. And, uh, but that was not the situation here. There was, there, this was hard to, un impossible to understand. And yet this is what God called Joshua to do. <clears throat> this is about obedience and trust. Trusting God's instructions, trusting God's word or commandments to be what we should, to, to, to be the right thing to do so that we would do it and then God would do, after we do what we do, God does what he does, and, uh, and it's, it seems to be triggered by that. Let's look at another one. In 2 Kings chapter 5, there is a, uh, a situation. There was Israel, and the, the, the prophet in those days in Israel was a man named Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha. And uh, Elisha was his protege and came after Elijah. And... Uh, there was a neighboring nation who basically were not friendly to Israel named Syria or the Assyrians. And there was a, a commander of the army in Assyria named Naaman. 
Naaman was not Jewish. Naaman did not believe in Jehovah, the God of Israel. Naaman uh, was, was a powerful man, had a lot of respect, commanded a lot of respect. But unfortunately for Naaman, he discovered one day he had a bad case of leprosy, like that skin disease that is fatal. You lose limbs. They rot and fall off. And, uh, and so uh, Naaman heard about the prophet in Israel and that the prophet in Israel could do miracles. And so his... his uh, he was, he was advised to go and visit that prophet, and maybe there would be a healing that could happen for him. So Naaman, with all of his entourage, went down to Israel, and he came to Elisha's house and, uh, and knocked on the door, and Elisha did not come to the door. He just sent a servant to the door, found out what Naaman wanted, told Naaman what to do. What he told Naaman to do was go down to the Jordan River nearby and dip yourself in the water seven times, go under seven times, and, uh, and what else? That's all. Just, just do it. That was God's command to Naaman. Let me read some of it here for us. Second Kings 5, verse 9. I guess it's up here too. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. Notice that. Why was he angry? <clears throat> and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Naaman wanted a bit of a ceremony. Uh, he wanted the spotlight and the drum roll and the waving of the hand and the pronouncement, and he kind of wanted to be at the center of all of this too, not just to go and dip in a muddy river. Uh, verse 12, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, those were rivers back in his home country, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off second time in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him <clears throat> and said to him, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you to do a little thing? Just, it's so easy. Wash and be cleansed. Thank God for those servants uh, who weren't driven by pride and ego like Naaman was. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Obedience and submission. Obedience and humility. Naaman was a proud man. And uh, to dip in the river seemed like, almost looked like a practical joke was, was, was brewing. <laughs> he could just hear, hear Elisha and all of, the, all of the people back in Israel going, you know, look at him. He's dipping in the joy. He actually believed me. Like it, somehow he, and this was very humiliating for Naaman to consider doing this in front of all these people. And that's why he was so angry. He was a proud man. Uh, and sometimes obedience calls us to humble ourselves and just do it. To do that simple thing that God has asked. Not to require the big ceremony, the big show, the spotlights and everything, but just quietly, even if nobody's watching, do what God has told you to do. And so that's what he did on this occasion. And his whole life was changed forever. Is there some muddy river in front of you? 
that your pride is resisting? Is there something that God wants you to do that might be humbling? Please remember Naaman and what happened when he listened to the voice of his servants and went and simply did what God asked him to do. He would be grateful for the rest of his life. He had quite a story to tell after that. <clears throat> you know, we live in, a, in an age and in a culture that is spiritually as hard and dry as concrete. Have you noticed that? We need God's power to be released into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our circles of friends, into our families and our relatives. And God's power is released when his people obey him, as it happened here in incident number two. I challenge us this morning to be a church that has a culture of just doing to the best of our spirit-given ability what God has asked us to do in all kinds of areas of our life. Just do it and leave the results to God. What good would washing in that river do? Didn't make sense. But when he just simply did it, everything changed. Thirdly, obedience and simplicity. Our third story comes out of the good old book of Jonah. In the further on in the Old Testament, Jonah chapter 3. <clears throat> Jonah was a prophet of God. He was a Jewish man. Their enemy in those days was, a, was basically the Syrians still, and the capital city of that country was Nineveh. And Nineveh was a great city, <clears throat> and they were spiritually dry and hard, like I've been talking about. And uh, God wanted to send Jonah to Nineveh, to the most seemingly unreceptive place in the world to take them a message from God that they should repent, almost a laughable request and command from God. And Jonah decided that this was dumb and he wasn't going to do it and he went the other direction and outright blatantly disobeyed what God told him to do. Then there was the, the fish and the, he got swallowed by a giant fish in the Mediterranean and, uh, and spent three days in the belly of the fish and then he was... The fish spit him up on the, on the shore, and God told him again, Jonah, let's try this again now from the top. And this time Jonah went. Let's read a bit of it here. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. This is after the fish has spit him out, and he's hopefully learned a lesson. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Fairly short message. The Ninevites believed God. This is a remarkable response. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, like it got all the way to the king's palace, he, the king of Nineveh, rose from his throne, all eyes are on him, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down 
in the dust. You should keep reading it in the rest of chapter 3 in Jonah. He's, he's even getting the animals to repent. He's clothing the animals in sackcloth and putting dust on them like repentance just swept through the city and Nineveh was saved all in response to Jonah's simple obedience to go and preach the message I've given you. Was the, uh, was the power in Jonah's great oratory, what's the word, oratory, <coughs> ability to speak, uh, <laughs> unlike your pastor? <coughs> no, the power was not in his, his uh, or, or, or <coughs> oratory. Was it in Jonah's appearance? No. In fact, when you spend three days and three in, in the belly of a fish, you you're probably look like you've got it's terrible skin disease, the acids of the fish's stomach. Anyway, that's a sidetrack you can talk about later. No, the power was in the message. And the message had to be delivered. And it took an obedient person to deliver the simple message. And then you just leave the rest to God. This is our job, is to obey God and not try to figure it all out. Jonah's arguments against this could have been like, Lord, I'm not a priest. I'm not a trained theologian. I, I don't have the training to go into Nineveh and deal with all their questions. I'm not going. Or his other objection could be, Lord, I'll probably be arrested. Question, probably killed. What's the plan here, Lord? I, I'm not sure I like this. Thirdly, another objection. <clears throat> I don't care about the Ninevites. They're our enemies. In fact, I don't love them. I hate them. I'm not going there. I'm the wrong man to send to them, Lord. Don't you need somebody who loves people? Or fourth possible objection, they have their own religion and they have their own gods. They don't know Yahweh. They don't know Israel's God. They're not going to respond. They're going to say, God who? And uh, this, this is a fool's errand. Those could have been all of his excuses, and in part, we know they were. God said, just go. Deliver the message I've given you and leave the rest to me. And that's exactly what happened. You know, our tendency to overthink things, right? That was, that was Jonah, overthinking things. Uh, that's, that's a tendency that I have as well. Uh, and and we, we think it all through. We try to understand it. Uh, and uh, we, we, uh, we, we end up sometimes just simply not even obeying because we think ourselves out of it. This is the season to put on your winter tires. I know it's a long jump from Jonah, but uh, <coughs> over the next month, month and a half, we'll be putting on our winter tires and taking off our summer tires. And if that was all we were told, probably I would think, my tires are fine. You know, like I've got fairly good tread on my summer tire. A tire is a tire. No, I'm not going to do that. But uh, when an explanation comes with the recommendation or the command, the, the explanation helps me to do it, right? Why do you put on winter tires? Because a summer tire and a winter tire are made out of different kinds of rubber. And winter tires are made out of softer rubber. And when the weather gets really cold, summer tires get hard in the cold and they'll slip and skid more. Winter tires grip the pavement better because they're softer rubber. That's why you put on winter tires when it gets below 7 degrees centigrade. You're probably already hearing this on the radio. <coughs> when I hear all that, I go, oh, makes sense. I should put on my winter tires. God doesn't always give a nice explanation like that. So don't get too demanding of an explanation before you will obey. The important thing here is keep it simple. Do what God said 
and leave the results to him. Obedience releases God's power, as we saw here in the story of Jonah. Now we move into the New Testament, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, obedience and discipleship. These are some of the last words of Jesus in his last days on earth. And this particular passage is what we call the Great Commission. It is the, 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 the ultimate command that Jesus gave to his disciples and to all the church as he was preparing to return back to heaven. The command was go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. Let's, let's read it freshly. <clears throat> Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They're looking at the resurrected Christ going, yeah, that's right. Therefore, in light of all authority, <clears throat> therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm interested in the second last sentence there where he says, and the way I've all often read it and often thought about it is teach them everything I've taught you. Teach them everything I've commanded you. Not, not quite what he said, is it? Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And teaching people information and teaching people the ways of Jesus and the stories of Jesus. Teaching people theology is a lot different than teaching them to obey. Really, really important. Our church will be judged by God on the way we made disciples and on the kind of disciples we made and were ourselves. <clears throat> the command here is to teach them to obey. Obedience is the mark of a disciple. There are other marks, love, for sure, big one. But you teach disciples to obey, and this is so very important. <clears throat> Lest we end up being like Pharisees. Listen to what Jesus said about the Pharisees. This comes out of Matthew 23. You must be careful to do everything they, the Pharisees, tell you, but do not do what they do. Why, Jesus? For they do not practice what they preach. They don't obey the very message they are putting out there themselves. Don't be like a Pharisee who just talks theology and preaches things but doesn't do it. If we don't practice what we preach, we are Pharisees and really, really badly missing the mark. Could we pause for a minute? I was going to do this at the end of the service. But I want to do it now, just allow a moment of silence. I believe that God's spirit is present amongst God's people when they gather and that God's spirit can speak quietly to our hearts. We've been talking now, we've gone through four examples of obedience. Joshua needing to trust what sounded crazy. It, Naaman needing to humble himself and dip in the river. Jonah needing to keep it simple, stop overthinking things, and just go and do it. And now we have the Great Commission. We are to be obedient disciples of Jesus. Could we have a moment silent and let the Spirit speak to each of our hearts? Is there something 
that you know he's been asking you to do? Something left undone? Some river to dip in? Some message to deliver? Lord, may it be a delightful thing when you speak to us clearly. Fifthly, obedience and revelation. <clears throat> revelation means revealing. Something is revealed. I love this story. Luke 5. This is Peter, uh, where he first really begins to understand Jesus is someone special. <clears throat> Peter uh, has, uh, was fishing all night, and then in the morning somehow they encountered Jesus, and Jesus was preaching, and then at the end of Jesus' message, uh, Jesus asked Peter to do something. Let's read it. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon is Peter's other name, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Very unusual. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Basically, you and I don't belong on the same beach. And it's because of my sin. After this incident was over, Peter, because he obeyed Jesus, well, let's back up a little bit. Jesus, you're a carpenter. You're the expert in carpentry. I'm the fisherman. My father taught me how to fish. I've been fishing all my life. I just fish these waters. There's nothing there. <laughs> Thank God he added these words, but because you say so, I'll do it. And when this happened, and Peter realized something unusual just happened here as a direct consequence of, of me doing what he said to do, even though I didn't think I needed to do that, even though I thought I knew more than he did, even though he's the carpenter and I'm the fisherman, something happened here. Peter, after this incident, did not become a better fisherman. He didn't know more about fishing, but he knew more about himself. I'm a sinful man. And he knew more about this other man standing in front of him, that he was something great, something from God. Obedience sometimes opens our eyes. It, it, it's, it's a mysterious spiritual thing, but sometimes when I just submit and go into the Jordan River or when I just go and deliver the message, something opens up, some lights come on. That's, that's, that's our phrase, the lights came on. And uh, it's called revelation. We see things we didn't see before. Obedience will help me understand more about Jesus than listening to a thousand sermons, than reading a thousand books of theology. Just obey him one time in pure humility. And sometimes our eyes will be opened, like we'll go, wow, I never saw that before. I never got that before. It's, it's a spiritual thing of the heart, and it's so very important. Teach them to obey everything 
that I've commanded you. Has Jesus told you to let your nets down and you're resisting because you think you know better? Has he told you go maybe and forgive, ask forgiveness of someone because you've hurt them and you're saying, no, 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 <laughs> that won't work. I know them, they'll never forgive me. I might as well not waste my time. Put your nets down and see his power released. Has he been telling you to go and share the gospel with someone or to give a gift, welcome a neighbor, something like that? And you've been saying, no, no, no fish down there. Remember Peter's words. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. Last one, obedience and love. John 14, 15. Jesus at one point said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. How many of us, when we hear the word obey or obedience, we kind of flinch, we back off a little bit. It's like, ooh, you know, I, nobody tells me what to do. We live in a, we live in a culture today that, that sort of recoils at the word obey and obedience. Cuts against the grain, swims against the current of our culture. <clears throat> now I'm going to say something that's going to ruin this whole sermon. I'm going to contradict myself. Instead of asking you to focus on obedience, I'm going to ask you to focus on loving Jesus. Don't worry about obedience. I hope you understand me. Don't worry about it. Stop focusing on it. Focus on the Lord. Focus on Jesus himself. <clears throat> when your heart begins to warm emotionally, towards Jesus. And many Christians don't have many warm emotional feelings about Jesus at all. And that's why it's so hard to obey. But when we warm towards him, it becomes easier and more natural, natural to do what he's asking us to do. So I ask you to think about the gospel a lot. Think about his love for you. Don't let it just be a cliche. Go deeper down into it. Study the scripture and make it personal. Uh, <coughs> Think about how much he loves you. Let your heart warm to him because of how good he has been to you. Remember our goal, that we would have a culture of joyful, worshipful, grateful obedience to the Lord that we sing about and worship here every day. Okay, I need to tell you something now. It was a little difficult for me to decide to give you this message. I had to myself obey God. Three reasons. Number one, we live in a culture that doesn't like the idea of obedience. <clears throat> we live in a culture that celebrates and glorifies the autonomous individual who plots their own path, who does their own thing, who defines themselves the way they want to define themselves instead of the way God has defined us. We live in that kind of a culture Nobody tells me what to do. I struggled with preaching this message because of the cultural milieu in which we live. But I sensed God's spirit saying to me, don't overthink it, John. Don't overthink it, Jonah. Just go and tell them. Second reason why it was hard. I feared you might not hear me properly. And you might come to a wrong understanding. The understanding being that uh, God needs our obedience before he can do anything. 
That would not be true. God can do anything he wants to at any time. He doesn't need me to obey. And I've been saying obedience releases the power of God, and I think there's truth in that, but be careful on that. God doesn't need our obedience, but he delights to work through our obedience and our submission to him. Think about that distinction. That's really, really important. What a privilege that he would do that with us. The third reason why I found it difficult was I said this to the Lord. <coughs> Lord, what if the people at Grace put this teaching to the test and it doesn't work? What if they hear me from Scripture say, God's obedience releases God's, or sorry, our obedience releases God's power. So they go home and they say, I'm going to test this out. And they obey you in a certain matter in their life. And they're expecting some walls to fall down, some leprosy to be healed, some fish to jump into the boat. They're, they're just expecting amazing things. And they say, I obeyed God and nothing happened. What if that happens, Lord? What are we going to do? And uh, I heard the Lord saying, Yoo-hoo, John, just do what I say. Don't overthink it, but do tell them this. Tell all your friends at Grace, obedience is not a way to manipulate God. It's not a way to get God to do what you want him to do. Ah, I want that promotion at work. I know, great message this morning, Pastor. I'm going to go home and obey God in this matter, and then, and then we'll, we'll just watch the power be released. I repeat, obedience is not a way to get God to do what you want him to do or to, a way to manipulate God. Obedience is a calling to a lifestyle. A lifestyle of grateful, worshipful obedience to God. Let's go and do that, and we'll let God do what he does best. Thank you, Lord, for these few minutes to think about how important is obedience to our God. Speak to us personally. If there's 120, 30 people in this room, Lord, you can speak in 120, 30 different, very unique, very personal ways. And we invite you to do that. May you be glorified in and through our obedience, we pray. Amen. We'll invite you to stand and join us as we sing our final song.